Hello, fight fans, and welcome back to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode 225. I have your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, and of course, Montero Unboxing, where you guys are right now, watching, listening live on YouTube and Spreaker. This week, we got a bunch of stuff to discuss, guys. We've got uh, actual boxing news. we got fights to review. we got fights to preview. We've got three cards this week. That's pretty awesome, man. we got shows on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday here in North America, both in Las Vegas and then Mexico City on Saturday. Before I get into it, guys, you know the drill. Make sure that you give the thumbs up here on YouTube. Make sure that you share, like, subscribe. All that good stuff. Episode 225 is underway. For those of you who want to get on the phone to discuss, in the USA, local number 213-267-7787. And in the UK, 020-810-036051. Make sure you get on the lines and uh, make your voice heard. Before I get started with the boxing stuff, real quick public service announcement. Just want to put this out there because uh, I saw this earlier today and I realized it's just not getting any attention in the mainstream media. Uh, This past weekend in Chicago, 102 shootings, 14 people dead, five of them minors, one a three-year-old boy caught in a drive-by shooting or crossfire shooting, I should say. Just a tragedy. That's one America town, one weekend. You know, uh, this, this goes on all the time. No one talks about it. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because nobody talks about it. But also, it reminded me of that scene in The Dark Knight that movie came on recently, and uh, remember that scene where the Joker is in the hospital talking to Two-Face? And I don't remember the exact words, but basically he said, hey man, when, when everything goes according to plan, nobody gives a damn. If tomorrow a bunch of soldiers die overseas or a bunch of gangbangers die here in America, nobody cares. But when a particular person dies or, or you know, whatever, when, when something different than the norm happens, everyone loses their minds. Remember when he talks about that, that? Heath Ledger killed that part, by the way. It reminded me of that, man, because this sort of stuff happens every day in every town in America. I mean, this year in 2020, hundreds of thousands of people will die, mostly from the working classes, uh, due to health issues like heart disease, diabetes, because of the shitty food most people eat. Uh, you know, the sugars and the fats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the violence, you know, whether it's gangbangers in, in urban inner city areas or gangbangers in trailer parks and rural areas, that's who's killing each other, right? It's young men killing each other, basically. Addiction issues. How many people will die this year due to opioid addiction? How many people will die? Uh, how many homeless people will die in the streets? How many homeless veterans, people who serve this country, will die on the streets because they can't get proper health care from the VA. As a former Marine myself, I can tell you that the VA health care, it should be the best in the world. It is not. It's nowhere near the best. And that's a shame. So anyway, I get it. Stick to boxing, Mike. I hear you moaning and groaning. Just had to get that out there with my little platform. If I could get that information out there to you guys, just remember, okay, there will be no demonstrations for the 102 people shot in Chicago this weekend, the 14 people killed, five of them kids. There will be no demonstrations, no virtual signaling, post on Instagram, no politicians pandering to any of that because it doesn't serve their purpose and their agenda. Just remember, you're being manipulated. We're all in this fucking thing together. Do not let these people play you, okay? All right, back to boxing. So let's talk about uh, COVID. Because, <laughs> you know, hey, if it ain't, you know, protests and riots, then it's COVID. That's 2020 in a nutshell. But uh, a couple weeks ago, Michaela Mayer tests positive, taken off that top rank show, and then she tests negative, apparently, and she's fit to fight. So I don't know what the hell is going on with the COVID testing, but there was uh, uh, the main event last Thursday, the June 18 card. Uh, that was canceled because a member of one of the fighters' teams tested positive. I don't know what to believe anymore with this stuff. I really, really don't. First you're positive, then you're negative. I don't know how that works with COVID. Just don't know enough about it. I'm not an expert in that arena. It's just interesting to me. Also, uh, American uh, amateur fighter, Ginny Fux. I think I'm saying that right. It could be Fuchs. It's F-U-C-H-S. Ginny Fux. Test positive for performance-enhancing drugs and blames it on a penis. I'm, I'm not making this shit up. A woman named Ginny Fox tests positive for PEDs, blames it on a penis. Apparently, 
she's claiming that she tested positive for traces of a banned substance from unprotected sex. I don't know about you guys. I've never heard this one before. I don't know if now that female fighters are being tested, if we're going to hear this excuse more like the tainted beef. <laughs> well, shit, this gives a whole new definition to tainted beef. <laughs> Insert your joke here or there. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, but I mean, are we going to hear male fighters using this one? Like, yo, I, I went down on my chick. She's on steroids. I hit the gym the next day. My bench went up 10 pounds, bro. Is that what's coming? I don't know what to think about this one. I've asked a few people in the scientific arena who know more about this thing. Um, you know, is it even scientifically possible to test positive for performance enhancing drugs through a dick? I, I don't know if it's even possible. I haven't got a straight answer yet. I'm sorry to you know make light of it and joke around. It's a serious situation. I get it. But I mean, guys, you can't write this shit. Jenny Fox test positive for performance enhancing drugs, blames it on the dick. You, you can't, I'm assuming she's talking about a guy. Uh, maybe she's talking about a girl. I, I, I don't know if that was clear in the story. I just know she blamed it on unprotected sex. So uh, let me be respectful. She said that she contract or somehow ingested this performance enhancing drug through unprotected sex. So you know what, guys? Public service announcement. Wear a condom, okay? Especially if you're doing dope because you don't want your girl to go to work and test positive for steroids if you're a doper because you didn't wear a condom. That's not cool, man. Wear a rubber so your girl doesn't get fired from her job at Bank of America. Okay. Uh, Dillian White taking legal action against the WBC to force his mandatory fight with Tyson Fury. I, look, I, I don't know what the hell to think anymore about Dillian White and the WBC. He's been the mandatory for 628 years. I, is he ever going to fight for the WBC title? I don't know. Do I feel bad for him? Yeah, kind of. But then not really because he has tested positive himself for performance-enhancing drugs on more than one occasion. So it's hard to feel bad for the guy. Uh, when he was clean, when he didn't test positive, he kind of looked like shit. So, I, you know, he has a promoter that gets him well-paid over there in the U.K., he seems to be doing pretty well financially. I think what you, I could just see a scenario happening where before the third fight between Fury and Wilder, the WBC bumps Fury up to franchise champion, and then White, who I believe right now is the interim champion, ends up getting elevated to full champion in the email. Sort of a Devin Haney situation uh, at heavyweight. We shall see. But um, I, I don't know what to think about that situation anymore, man. I don't have any answers for you guys. It's a complete mess. It's a catastrophe. It's actually kind of just laughable at this stage. Speaking about laughable, Ryan Garcia of Golden Boy Promotions, right? Supposed to be on the uh, July. I think it was they're planning a show for early July in L.A. The rumor is he was offered like 200 grand, half of what Shakur Stevenson just got paid, which, by the way, was a gross overpayment for what he brought to the table. But uh, now he's off that show. And Golden Boy Promotions is going to do a show later, I think late July. They're targeting Fantasy Springs Casino with Virgil Ortiz Jr. You guys know I'm super high on. I think that he long-term is going to have the better overall career than Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia is going to make more money. He's probably going to do more TV ratings. And he might even get a title quicker. I said title belt, okay? Don't mistake title belt with being seen as the champion. I think that Virgil Ortiz eventually could unify titles and be seen as the champion in a particular weight class, whether it's 47, 54, whatever. I think he has that kind of talent. And he's just dedicated to boxing in a different way. The sport requires a different level of dedication, man. But uh, Ryan Garcia, so anyway, last, I believe it was September, he signed that big deal with Golden Boy Promotions. You guys saw him tweet out, and I think he posted it on all of his social, his Instagram, everything. There's a video of him signing the contract, right? And he called it one of the biggest prospect contracts ever. Something like that. One of the biggest contracts ever for a prospect. He's had two fights. One of them was a co-main on a Canelo Alvarez card. I mean, for a prospect, which prospect is a co-main on the uh, paper, not, not a pay-per-view show, but one of the biggest shows for um, the, the biggest star in the sport? You don't see that shit happen. Right? So already he's pissed off. He's only had two fights on this deal and he's bitching about the money he's getting. Now, I don't think this is a hundred percent coming from Ryan Garcia. 
I think that if you guys want to lay blame on somebody and it's, this is going to go, this is going to work against me and cost me some jobs and money in the future, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Lupe Valencia, who I think is the advisor of Ryan Garcia. Uh, that's the guy putting this shit in his ear. And that's the guy that's been telling him. do I think it's just him? No, but I think that since this guy got involved, things have changed with this kid. And um, I just, they're, they're not advising him very well. $200,000 is more than $0. And fighting around the 4th of July in LA, uh, headlining a show, that show would have did ratings. It would have smoked all of the ESPN ratings. Although that show probably would have been on the zone. So I don't even know, does anyone have the zone anymore? So there you go. I don't know if it, let me take back that ratings comment. <laughs> But uh, can you guys tell him Rusty? Because I had my birthday week uh, off last week. But but just in terms of money and exposure and everything else, I think it would have been big for Ryan Garcia. But, dude, now he's not going to fight. That dude could sit on a shelf for the rest of the year. Who knows? Maybe if Canelo fights at the end of the year, maybe Garcia gets on that show. But, dude, what are you sitting out for? It's not like they were going to put him in against a really tough fighter. It would have kept him busy. He would have ate a little bit, would have got some attention, some exposure, and everybody would have won. But now he's sitting on his ass. So they had a back and forth, Garcia and Oscar De La Hoya. And some people are saying Oscar De La Hoya looked really, really petty. It wasn't professional. I get it. I Trust me, I understand. Like The optics of it from Oscar's side didn't look good. And a lot of you guys were saying, you know, well, Bob Ayer wouldn't do this. Eddie Hurd wouldn't do this. They would in their own way. Bob Bob Arum is old school boxing, right? So he's going to work through the media. To He's also very, very, um, he's like a politician. He understands how to work media better than Oscar De La Hoya. And he would have still vented and got his revenge on this fighter and talked shit. It just would have been through the guys of the media and through other people. It would have looked smoother, right? He, he's more of a polished politician type. And you can say the same thing with Eddie Hearn and some of these other guys. Oscar's not very refined on social media, and he's just going to let it rip sometimes. I get it. It didn't look good. But do do any of you guys disagree with what Oscar said? I don't disagree. So now Virgil Ortiz has this headlining card at Fantasy Springs Casino later that month. He's going to get the exposure. He's going to get the experience, and he's going to eat a little bit. It's not like he's going to be matched very, very tough. It's going to knock off some ring rust for him. He'll be better prepared for a bigger fight later this year. And Ryan Garcia is sitting on his butt. So, look, if I'm Gold Boy Promotions, I'm putting all my stock in Virgil Ortiz. It's not that I don't put any stock in Ryan Garcia, but what are you getting? Return for your dollar. I just don't know what they're getting back. Super Chat Pledge from Trent Nanparil. He says, yo, thoughts on Joe Ward. Disturbing injury and pro debut. World amateur silver medal beat Bully Beck. Yes, he did. Are you still not high on Quigley? His hand injury was costly. I love the World Series of Boxing. Thoughts on 12-round World Series of Boxing bouts? Damn, a lot of good questions in there, Trent. First of all, thank you for the super chat, dude. Appreciate that, man. Um, Let's look up Joe Ward here because uh, I'm trying to think what exactly was the injury. Joe Joseph Ward. Uh... Okay, well, nothing's working here. Damn it, my screen's freezing up. Yeah, it's tough, man, with the TKO loss. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now I remember this one. I was trying to think when this was. I was trying to think, was this this year when Joseph Ward busted his hand, or is this last year, but it was this year. Or I'm sorry, it was last year, it was 2019. Uh, yeah, dude, a lot of great amateur accomplishments, World Series of Boxing. I love all that stuff. Uh, hasn't been back since. Haven't heard from him since. I don't know what to think, bro. I honestly don't know what to think. I'm trying to think what weight was it he beat Beck the Bully at, but I can't get anything here. My computer screen, I'm trying to pull it up, the box rec, the uh, amateur stuff, because I want to know what weight division that was at when he beat Beck. Trent, let me know in the chat, man, because I can't find it here. My screen keeps freezing up. Ah, damn it. Yeah, it keeps freezing up. All right, I'll have to check this out later. But um, let's see, is he on there? Ward was knee. Ward was a knee. It was Quigley with the hand. Yeah, look, with Quigley, 
I like Quigley. I think he's a fun fighter. He's exciting. I just don't think he's at that elite level. Particularly, people diss the middleweight division and say it's not very, very high up there. But um, I actually think the middleweight division is pretty stacked with talent. There's some really good fighters at 160. And I just don't see Quigley doing anything there. And then if he, At 168, I don't know if uh, he could do much there either. I, I just don't see him um, being a, a championship-level fighter. Okay, I, I just and it's not a diss to him. I just think he's a step below that. He's just a step below that. Okay, uh, World Series of Boxing. If they want to do twelve round World Series of Boxing fights, that's fine. Are they going to be considered uh, professional fights then? Because right now, World Series of Boxing fights are still kind of in this middle space, and and we don't know are they pro fights or the amateur fights or something in the middle. It, they're not universally accepted as pro fights. If I were advising a fighter in their career, I wouldn't want him doing 12-round fights unless I knew for sure these are going to count on this pro record. So that's something that still has to be figured out and discussed. And um, you guys, I think Trent was saying in the chat, yeah, it was 178 pounds, 178 pounds that he beat Beck at. So that's legit Beck's weight. That's legit. I do think um, Ward's a little bigger than him. The thing with Beck, man, Beck is solid. He's thick, but he's not a tall guy. He's not a very tall guy. Ward is six foot one. So he's a tall, natural guy. He's going to settle in as a light heavy and everything else, right? And Beck, I know he's had a couple of fights in and around there, but he's really a 168, and he's a stocky 168. You know what I'm saying? So um, I rate that win pretty well. But in the pros, I don't know that it necessarily translates over to the pros because Beck, with his style, I think is much, much more of a pro style. And I think you see it a lot of times, man. Guys who lose in the amateurs to a certain fighter, they avenge that in the pros. It just depends on the style of the guy. So right now, I mean, we can't talk because, you know, Ward's hurt. But just based on what I've seen with Beck and his pro style and how he's developing, at 168, 175 in the pros, I'm going to favor Beck all day, all way. I'm favoring Beck. So uh, you guys might not like that answer, but, yeah, Trent in the chat says the only difference is the gloves with the World Series of Boxing, but 10 to 12 rounds too much. I agree, dude. Uh, Rockstar96 says 12-round amateur bouts is strange. Yeah, I, I just – there's no way I would want my guy, my young fighter doing a 10- or 12-round fight in the amateurs when you're getting paid dick and it's not going on your pro record. What's the point? At that point, man, jump over to the pros and develop your fighter where they can make some serious money. In some of these countries, the amateurs and the guys who fight the World Series of Boxing, they're being taken care of very well. And some of these guys bounce back and forth between the pros and the amateurs all the time, particularly over in the Eastern European countries. I see that a lot. But if you're getting paid, cool. I mean, 12-round fights? I, I just don't know. I mean, when you go to the pros and you're fighting for a world title belt at that stage, you're getting at least six figures. And sometimes, you know, depending on your star power, you're getting seven figures. But even guys who don't have a big name, if you're fighting for a title, you're getting six figures a lot of times. And is that going to happen in the amateurs, the World Series of Boxing? Maybe. There might be a couple of really special cases where that could happen, but um, I don't see that being a normal occurrence. So no way, dude. I, I would not support that. All right. Um, Trent also says Ward got brutally knocked out by a French guy in the World Series of Boxing. Interesting. Yeah, man, I just, Beck has that pro style, man. I'm all in on Beck. And you guys, sometimes, you know, a, a guy can look really good in the amateurs because of the way amateur boxing works. Tall, long fighters. Think of a guy like Luke Campbell, who I think is an underappreciated pro, but his style, in my opinion, much better for the amateurs. There's going to be guys in the pros that can get around him with their angles, get under his shots, and um, bust him up. And you saw, look, Jorge Linares, Close fight, right? Lomachenko, competitive fight, but ultimately those guys were able to outclass him, just a better pro style overall. In the case of Lomachenko, just a, another level of fighter. Okay, let's. Uh, I've got a lot more stuff to get to, guys. Um, Anthony Joshua. I don't want to spend too long on this. I don't want to get controversial with this. But a lot of you guys have asked me about it. And the reason why I want to bring this up, so he had some comments that offended people in a recent rally over in London. And um, 
he walked him back and he said, no, 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 here's what I really meant. It's not the first time Anthony Joshua has said things that were kind of pointed in a certain direction. It didn't really look good. And um, I want to bring it up because a tweet came up last week where I was talking about, and we got, it turned into a thread where we were talking about Tyson Fury's brand over in the UK compared to Anthony Joshua's. A couple of years ago, Anthony Joshua, his brand was light years bigger or light years further ahead, I should say, than Tyson Fury's. Tyson Fury is not this huge star over in the UK, but it is interesting because it's starting to change. And Tyson Fury has said some controversial, messed up things before. I think about like homosexuals and stuff like that. He's made comments that were not very well received in the media in the UK, but the last couple of years, he's been fighting over here in America with Bob Arum, top rank in, in Las Vegas, and building up a brand for himself here. And everyone loves a winner. The way he just beat Deontay Wilder, now there's a lineage from you know from that victory back to his win over Klitschko down. If you you know forget everything that happened in between, those are two great victories. And his star power started to rise on both sides of the pond. He's also handled certain questions, racialized political questions recently, very, very well. As it relates to Deontay Wilder, you guys know that's something I've talked about a lot. The way Fury handled that promotion versus the way Wilder handled it. And he was asked recently about Anthony Joshua's comments <clears throat> at this rally where he said he was basically talking to people. He didn't get specific. But given where he was, what he was speaking about, the subject matter, the context, he said, don't shop in their stores. Hit them where it hurts. And a lot of people interpreted this as him talking about a certain group of people. So Tyson Fury was asked about that. And he said, basically, you know, hey, man, I don't really give a shit what he said. He said what he said, whatever. But then later on, he goes to say, and I'm going to quote this, if it, if it had been me, then I'd have been crucified like Jesus Christ. I'll just say that. And then he went on to talk about how Eddie Hearn protects Tyson or uh, Anthony Joshua. And I do think there's some validity to what Tyson Fury said. Tyson Fury was heavily ridiculed in the media for some of the comments I just brought up a minute ago. And he, deservingly so. He said some messed up shit. And Anthony Joshua just kind of got a pass for some of the things he said, at least from what I've seen in the mainstream media. And then if you go back a couple years, guys, there was the whole superior race comment that he made uh, with... Um, Eddie Chambers in a DM. And Eddie Chambers showed it, a video, logging into his Instagram, going to Anthony Joshua's account, and going to that DM. It went completely under the rug in the UK. Eddie Hearn just kind of scoffed it off. I don't think Anthony Joshua ever even addressed those comments. And the media over there, who was deathly afraid of losing their press pass with the biggest sporting star in the UK, has not challenged him at all. He's just said that with complete impunity. So... That's going to hurt AJ's brand with some people. Now, some people love that sort of commentary, and it's going to increase uh, his brand with them. But there are some people that were kind of pissed off about some of those comments. And now, the way Tyson Fury's handled things recently, him winning in a big way against Wilder, it is interesting to see those brands shifting. And I think that if those two eventually do fight, should AJ beat Pulev, should Fury beat Wilder again, if those two fight next year, if they give Dillian White step-aside money or whatever it takes, and they do that fight, it'll be very, very interesting to see who comes in with all with the majority of the fan support. I would be genuine, genuinely curious because I do think, you know, the brands are shifting a little bit in, in recent years. Also, you know, AJ did have a tough loss. Now, I, I respect the way he came back from that loss. I think that shows a lot. I think he was overly unfairly criticized for the way he fought in the Ruiz rematch. I think he fought brilliantly in that fight, did what he had to do. But a lot of people didn't like it. They didn't like the way he fought, and they much prefer the style in which Fury fought Wilder in their rematch. I think people have short memories, because a lot of Tyson Fury fights have been boring as shit. Go back and watch his fight against Vladimir Klitschko. It was awful. He won, but it was awful. So if you're criticizing AJ for the way he fought Ruiz... Go back and watch Fury's fight against Klitschko. Now, Fury was fighting a fighter who was way better than Andy Ruiz. I get that. But still, people have short memories. Anyway, just thought that uh, I should bring that up. Let's see. Uh, I just want to see what a few of you guys say in the chat. 
Hashtag Joshua Wilder says the media bashed Fury in the past by misquoting him, talking about discrimination, and he you know brings up the fact that he's of gypsy heritage. Uh, so yeah, Jay Perez brings up a good point. He says to be honest, I don't really mind. I think we should stop being so damn sensitive. Jay Perez, I agree with you. I, I mean, and that's, I think that's pretty much what Fury was saying. I agree, because Fury basically said that when asked about AJ's comments. And I agree. You guys know my stance on 99% of this stuff. I'm like, everyone's too damn sensitive. But Fury did make a good point. And he said that, look, if I had said what he said in the opposite, I'd be getting thrashed in the media. And he would. I, I think, you know, guys, let's stop pretending there's not a double standard. There is. And it's not just in the United States. It's pretty much all of the Western world. It's, it's basically global. There are double standards, and they go in many different directions. But in this particular case, I think Fury's right. All right, let's move on. Uh, Bob Arum says that Terrence Crawford is going to fight Manny Pacquiao, Sean Porter, Ugas, Brooke, or Thurman next. That's the five names I've heard in a couple of different interviews. Now, look, I, you know, I just can't see the Pacquiao fight happening because for years when Pacquiao was with top rank, he wanted no part of Crawford. Now suddenly he's going to fight Crawford. I think Grandpa Bob's saying that just to pull a bait and switch. So just ignore that. That's Bob Aaron being a promoter and just basically fucking lying to you guys. All right. Porter Porter it, it is pretty much already said that fight ain't happening. He's kind of said it without saying it. Those two aren't going to fight. Crawford and Porter, I've lost all hope. Ugas. Now that's an interesting one. I think it could happen. I think it possibly could happen because I think Ugas would fight anybody. I think he's one of those old school fighters who would fight anybody. That's why I'm a fan of Ugas. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Brooke, sad but true, I think that's possible because Brooke has the balls to fight Crawford. He'd actually do it. And in terms of branding, that would be a branding wise, it would make sense, man. It just would. I'm sorry, guys, don't shoot the messenger, but I could see that happening. I don't want it to. And then Thurman. There's no fucking way that Thurman's going to fight Crawford. His handlers wouldn't allow him out to do that. And, I mean, does this guy, is he anywhere near welterweight right now? He's walking around as a heavyweight, basically. So, yeah, I don't see them fight. It's either going to be Ugas or Brooke, and i got to lean toward Ugas. I'm sorry, Brooke. It's very, very possible and just imagine, man, Crawford beat Khan last year in a pay-per-view. Could you imagine if he fights Brooke in his pay-per-view? Oh, my God. That would be so bad. Now, if he fights Ugas, let me ask you guys this. If Crawford Ugas gets made, would you be willing to buy that on pay-per-view? I'm not saying it's going to be pay-per-view. I'm not saying it's not going to be on pay-per-view. But would you be willing to pick that up pay-per-view price? for Crawford and Ugas to fight. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious what you guys would think. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm just looking at the chat. I think most of you guys are into that. But you like the fight, but you don't like the pay-per-view. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <clears throat> All right. Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Coming back, he's going to fight Jerry Forrest July 9th in Las Vegas. Going to make his top-ranked debut. Two-time doper, and this is a guy that, look, there's no excuses. We know, okay, like, if you're a Canelo fan, you want to believe the tainted beef. If you're a Ginny Fox fan, you want to believe the tainted beef. <laughs> you want to believe those stories, okay? But I don't care if you're the biggest Jarrell Big Baby Miller fan. You know the dude cheated, okay? He threw away millions and millions of dollars because he thought Anthony Joshua was going to destroy him. So he took a million different drugs and tested positive for all of them. Or pr probably not even everything he took. There's probably shit he took he didn't even pop for. So this guy is a doper. He's a cheater. Okay? We know this now. Now, do I believe in redemption? Yes. Do I believe somebody should get a second chance? Yes. And in this case, a third chance. I believe in those things. I truly do. You should, people make mistakes, and you shouldn't hold it against them for the rest of their lives. However... Jarrell Big Baby Miller was never even suspended because he wasn't licensed when he popped. So he was never even suspended. So technically speaking, there was zero, zero repercussions for his actions. Zero accountability. He kind of like laughed it off. 
in any, every interviewer it's been brought up, he's kind of said, yeah, you know, hey, you know, and, uh, he just kind of laughed it off. No one in the media has taken him to task there in the New York boxing press and said, yo, man, what happened? No, 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 don't, don't shit, side shift, don't, no, no, no other subject, don't deflect, what the fuck happened? No one's ever, ever gotten in his face and pushed him, right? So there was zero, z- there were zero repercussions for what he did. And he walks into this contract with top rank, and they're very good at making these things go away. Bob Arum understands. He's got a lot of connections, uh, legal people that understand all that, that whole world, the legal world and the PR world, the media world. They're very, very good at making these things go away. You look at um, Tyson Fury, for example, and the whole issue with UCAD. ESPN never brought it up once. Never once for any Fury fight have they brought it up at all. Top Rank's very good at this. They prop they will probably have to mention that Big Baby Miller did steroids, but it's going to be a really quick little hit. And because you know Mark Kriegel's going to do his segment on Jarrell Big Baby Miller, there's going to be a quick little thing about the steroids, and then on to the rest of the story. Right? They will suppress this. So my whole issue with this. You know, the dude never officially suspended, hasn't fought in almost two years, returns to headline an ESPN card, and I think he's going to get a six-figure purse. Dude, like, how do we just sit back and just not even address that? What What is the... What's the deterrent if you're a fighter who wants to use performance-enhancing drugs? Honestly, what's what's your deterrent at this point? You might get suspended for six months like Canelo Alvarez did. You might have to take a year of testing and fight clean for a while. But is it really going to hurt you that bad? Now, in the case of Big Baby Miller, it cost him millions of dollars. It cost him a fight with AJ, and then there was a subsequent fight attached to that deal. That was part of it. So he was going to – this did cost him millions. But he hangs out for a couple years. All he's got to do is beat Jerry Forrest, which he will, Right. And eventually, he's going to get a crack at Tyson Fury next year. When he gets that shot, he's probably going to get a seven-figure payday. It's not going to be what he got against Anthony Joshua, but dude's still going to make seven figures probably in the next 12 months. 12, 18 months. 18 months. That's crazy. That's just crazy, man. That's the world we're living in right now because – there's a lot of talk about privilege, this, and systemic that, and institutional this, that, the other. Well, who's running this institution? Who's running this system? Okay? It, to me, this looks like privilege. If you're an undefeated heavyweight that could talk shit, you're eventually going to get hooked up and taken care of. That's just the way this looks. All right. Uh, another fight that's come together. Oscar Valdez versus Jason Velez, July 21st in Las Vegas. I like that. I like that matchup a lot. A lot of people have been talking shit about these top rank cards and the matchmaking, and I get it, okay? Trust me, I get it. But there have been good matchups, and I'm going to talk about some of those in a little bit here. But this matchup on paper looks really, really good. Oscar Valdez should should decisively beat Jason Velez. And, And quite frankly, he should dominate him. He should. But... Because Oscar Valdez is who he is, he's not. He's going to struggle. He's going to get hit. And this fight is going to have some action in it. Also, uh, Thompson Boxing doing a pay-per-view live stream Sunday, July 26th. I love this. They're keeping Michael Dutch over active. There's a blue chip prospect everyone should keep their eyes on. And they're charging $6 for this pay-per-view. I love this. A lot of people bitch about pay-per-view. I get it. I I don't love that this fight's on pay-per-view. But if you're Thompson Boxing... You don't have direct access to a network. Now, they've done some fights on the zone and different things like that, but this is a way smarter, this is a much smarter plan for them. Charge $6. Man, if you get 10,000 people to buy this, it's 60 grand. And I know some of you guys are like, what the hell? That ain't shit. Because, yeah, you're comparing it to Fury Wilder. For a club level show like this, that's substantial. I think you guys overestimate the expense and the cost associated. Uh, with, with some of these club level shows, it's not in the six figures, seven figures. It's in the five figures. Okay, so you think back to those Friday night fight cards on on ESPN and stuff. Some of those shows were twenty grand. All right, it just depends on the level of show. But I love this. They're keeping their guy busy. 
$6 for a pay-per-view. It's on a Sunday. There's going to be a lot of people at home chilling and wanting something to watch. Boom, here you go. I think this is a really smart idea and an interesting experiment. Because if this goes well, you're going to see more of this. And I, I think it's cool because it's going to be like an a la carte kind of thing on pay-per-view. I think it's going to be fun, man. And I like Michael Dutchover. I think he's a good-looking prospect. Okay, guys. Oh, Gail Falkenthal is on the chat. Love it. So she's on the show late. Hey, man. It's all good. All good. Thank you for watching, Gail. Thanks, all of you, for watching. Just a reminder, hit that thumbs up button. Hit that like button. Share, subscribe, all that good stuff. All right. Oh, Chad Fletcher's on the chat. What's up, Mikey? Hollering from your hometown. Dude, you're in Detroit? Wear your mask, bro. That's a hot zone right there. <laughs> I was actually supposed to be in Detroit last month, but uh, this whole COVID situation. Put the kibosh on that. Have fun in Detroit, bro. If you need to know where to go to eat, to hang out, hit me up. DM me. I'll let you know. All right, guys. Let's review. Let's do a review, an honest review of these top-ranked shows. We've had two weeks of them now. We're getting into our third week here, and I want to give some perspective on this. So there's some good, there's some bad, as with everything. There's a lot of people out there just bashing these shows and talking nonstop shit. And here's something to keep into consideration, though. They're the only company putting on shows right now. Top Rate came back in June, right? They're, they're getting you guys through July. I don't think any other American promoters are coming back until late July at the earliest. And that's Golden Boy, right? PBC, uh, these other guys, even, even uh, Eddie Hearn and these guys overseas, they're not getting back till what, August? Some of them aren't getting back till September. So top rank, by the time these other promoters get involved, top rank will have given you guys a dozen cards or more. I think it's more than that because you're getting two, sometimes three a week. So you can talk shit. But I don't think you guys, I posted a story to Ring TV talking about some of this, but I don't think you guys, some of you, don't appreciate and understand uh, the cost associated and the complexity associated with what Top Rank is doing. Now, do I think it makes sense? Do I think it makes sense that they're in this bubble and people are wearing masks and there's all this social distancing where if you go just outside the bubble into the fucking casinos, everyone's partying and drinking and having fun? No mask, no social distancing. Do I think it makes sense? No. But as I've said a million times, boxing is more regulated than MMA. So you guys have to stop comparing it to what Dana White did in Florida. Dana White didn't have half the restrictions to deal with. Not half, okay? The restrictions are complications. His shows were much cheaper to put on and much easier, much less red tape. So stop making the comparison. And there's a lot of people in the MMA world now going after Bob Arum, and I get it. Bob kind of deserves it. He kind of dug his own grave there when he talks shit about those guys so much. So I don't feel sorry for Bob, and he doesn't give a shit, quite honestly. He's in I-don't-give-a-fuck mode now at this stage of his life. But a lot of these UFC guys comparing ratings and comparing the quality of matchups, they do not understand the logistics involved. They're not educated on the subject. So I think let's just talk about it fairly, okay? Have some of the matchups been horrible? Yes. Have uh, the pace of the shows, has that been bad? Yes. All the Kriegel's People segments. One of you guys on Twitter said it was Kriegel's People, and that cracked me up. So I'm going to use that. I'm sorry I forgot your name. Uh, if you're listening, get on the chat and let me know who you were that, that made up that expression because it's fucking hilarious. It, it perfectly fits what Mark Kriegel does. So all these Kriegel's People segments, I hate them too, you know. I'll talk about Mark Kriegel a little bit here in a second, too. But there's some good and there's some bad guys. At least they're doing something. And I, some of you will respond and be like, oh, well, that's just boxing 101. Same old shit. They, they give us dog shit and we just accept it. It hasn't all been dog shit, guys. There's been some good stuff in there. There's been some close competitive fights. And we got a couple more coming up on the schedule over the next month. And with everything that they're dealing with, it's not like they came back and gave you one show and it was dog shit or two shows or a pay-per-view and it was dog shit. These are regular ESPN. They're going to have some on ESPN plus you're getting fights on Tuesday, Thursday, and sometimes Saturday. 
they're keeping their guys busy. That's the most important thing. Fuck ratings, fuck matchups. They're keeping their guys busy. Other promoters, their guys are sitting on their ass right now. I think Top Rank deserves some credit. They deserve some credit. And a lot of these other promoters, when they bring their guys back, it's going to cost you. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Anyway, people bashing the purses and all that kind of stuff, again, you have no idea of the additional cost. And some of these guys are only making five grand to go on TV and fight. Guys, that's that's pretty much what you get a lot of times in a four-rounder or a six-rounder. It's even less than that most of the time. So I think maybe people just weren't aware of that maybe. But – there's a lot of guys. People think, you know, you think of the, the, the top superstars and what they make, right? And they're way at the top of that pay scale. Guys, there's, for every Canelo, even, let's not even talk about Canelo. I'm, for every mid-level guy with a title, let's say, or even Shakur Stevenson, a guy making 400 grand, you know, a fight. For every one of him, there are literally a thousand licensed professional fighters making a fraction of that. That's the reality. I tell you all the time, guys, it's a one percenter business. So that's why you'll never hear me call a fighter a bum or, or diss a fighter like that. I don't care what level they're fighting at because these guys, most of them fight for five grand, three grand. They'll be happy to get 10 grand. Most of these dudes are working a full-time job in training on the side and showing up. That's why a lot of the journeyman level fighters, look at the weights they fight at. They'll bounce all around. Look at a guy like uh, Clay Collard, right, who I'll talk about in a second. He's, he's fought all over the place because that dude, sometimes he's working, sometimes he's training, whatever. The phone might ring. Hey, man, you want to take this fight and make a, a couple grand real quick? Yeah, sure. All right. That's, that's how this shit works most of the time. That's the sport, guys. But, okay. So, anyway, much more red tape, much more restrictions, regulations, much more expensive on that side of things than UFC – than a lot of you guys realize. And I think other promoters are just sitting it out to where there are less restrictions and less cost associated. And maybe they'll give their guys a little bit more, but they're also going to keep a little bit more too. All right. All right. Tuesday, June 16th card, Greer versus Plania on ESPN. Uh, that broadcast peaked at 503,000 viewers. Average was 350,000. The previous show which was last Thursday, June 11th, peaked at 392, average was 311, and the opening show last Tuesday, June 9th, with Shakur Stevenson, that peaked at 609, average was 397. So if you look at these averages, it's anywhere from 300 to 400,000 people throughout the show that are staying tuned in. At the peak, you're getting anywhere from 400 to 600,000. Now, some people are bashing the shit out of those ratings, and I understand. On the surface, they don't look very good. Uh, but I think, well, let me give you one more. So the Flores Ruiz card, it was supposed to be Pedraza Lepierre, but Lepierre, a member of his team, tested positive for COVID, so they were off the show. So Flores Ruiz became the main event. So that was uh, last Thursday, June 18th. That show peaked at just 382, average 305. The averages have stayed pretty consistent. The peaks have changed depending on the level of fighter, level of fight. But again, people look at that and they're like, oh, that, that, those ratings suck. Well, the Sports Center that preceded that card and the Sports Center episode that followed that card. So there was a Sports Center at 7 p.m. that day and 11 p.m. These are Eastern times. Both Sports Center broadcast, uh, well, let's see, they averaged the first one 157,000 viewers, the second one 164,000 viewers. So their flagship show of the network, Sports Center. Did about 150,000. Okay. That puts it into perspective, guys. Their ratings are down across the board. Everyone talked about the Chicago Bulls documentary and the huge ratings for that, the Lance Armstrong documentary, huge ratings for that. Well, no shit. Okay. But these cards are not featuring big names. None of them have featured a big name. I know Shakur Stevenson is a big name in terms of being a prospect, but outside of boxing diehards, no one knows who the hell he is. So, no big names. Mostly mismatches, mostly prospects. And as you build prospects, you want them to see different styles. You do put them in those sorts of matchups. Guys, when you're building a prospect, and no one builds prospects better than top rank, you, you, might want to, you just might want them to face a southpaw. So you'll put him in there against an overmatched southpaw so you could get, he could get a look at a southpaw. 
Then you want to put them in there against a the taller guy. Then you want to put them in there against a the mover. You want to put them in against different styles, and you're not going to take too many chances as you build them up. You will get every prospect's different. You'll get to a point where you start up in the opposition. I understand that, but a lot of times, you know, when a fighter's brand new, it is it's going to kind of be a mismatch as these prospects go up, and that's what you're seeing, man. You're seeing undercard fights broadcast as live main events on ESPN. So these cards are anomalies. So are the ratings stellar? Are they spectacular? No. But all things considered, are they pretty respectable? I think so. Again, man, Sports Center, 157,000 viewers. And then the Flores Ruiz card averages 305,000. That's double. After the show, everyone tunes off and the, the Sports Center ratings are 164,000. I think that says something. So again, I give Top Rank some credit. Um, okay, let's go back to uh, Greer Plania last week. Uh, Plania, the Filipino. Majority decision win over Joshua Greer of Chicago in a minor upset. It should have been unanimous decision. Dave already had it a draw. That was an idiotic scorecard. Um, that there was a fight that was very evenly matched. So you talk about bad matchups, mismatches. Well, there you go. There was a and look. It was very clear during the the broadcast that Greer was supposed to win. Right, he was the guy they were promoting, doing the Kriegel's people segments on him. He was supposed to win, and uh, he lost that fight. Fair and square. To his credit, he owned it, and he had a great post on social that I tweeted out. But uh, he, he's really, really handled that loss well, and I think he's going to be better for it. But there's an even matchup, right? That was a good fight. Giovanni Santian, uh, majority decision over Antonio DeMarco. Now, a lot of people thought that DeMarco won that fight, but it was close. It was close. I don't think robbery is the right word. But there is an evenly matched fight. That was a good matchup. And then... Um, Let's bounce to the June 18th card. Gabriel Flores, unanimous decision over Joseph Ruiz. Knocked him down in the second round. Pretty much a shutout. That was basically a showcase for uh, for Flores, much like Shakur Stevenson's fight a week prior was a showcase for him. I get it. Flores looked great. He looked great. He's only 20 years old. For a kid at 20 years old to be fighting at that level, and I get it. It's not like he was fighting in front of a crowd, but it's still headlining a fight. It was the main event. And this kid's already fought in front of 10,000 people plus in his hometown. So he's been in front of big crowds. I think he's he's going to handle the big pressure situations very well as he moves up, right? But there's some things to work on. He needs to work the body more. He's you know got good length and range for, the, for this weight and everything, but eventually he's going to move up in weight. As he moves up in weight, he's going to have to get underneath guys' shots more, work the body, get them to lower their guard, to get up top. So he needs to work the body more. He needs to stay in the pocket more. To, to land body shots, you got to stay in the pocket more. To sit down your shots, you got to sit in the pocket at mid-range sometimes. That means you might have to catch a shot. That means you might have to eat a shot. You roll with it so it glances or something. But he's got to learn those elements to his game. He's got to sit down on his punches. The one thing that concerns me about Flores, he doesn't seem to have the eraser. Now, I said the same thing about Shakur Stevenson a few years back, the first time I saw him uh, up close and personal as a pro. And he seemed to have Bambi legs. Flores seems to have sturdier legs. But Stevenson is fit, built, you know, kind of set, set into his frame better. And, in fact, he's probably going to be going up in weight soon. By this time next year, he'll be at 130. But um, he's, he's, Stevenson's never going to have the eraser, but he's learning to sit in the pocket when he needs to and sit down on his shots, and he's getting more out of his punches. Flores needs to learn that. Once he does, he's going to be a bad dude. That's going to be a, that, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem. He's never going to have that eraser, though. So he's going to have to use his skills to win fights. So develop the skills. That's what this whole process is about. Also, upset special, Clay Collard, uh, split, deci- <coughs> split decision win over Davis Kaminsky. Somehow, Judge Patricia Morse Jarman had it for Kaminsky. Absolutely ridiculous scorecard. I have no idea what the hell she was watching. Kaminsky took an absolute shellacking, a beating in that fight. He was taken to the hospital. The CT scans were negative. He appears to be okay. For Collard, he has taken three straight O's from prospects all this year. January, February, and June. It seems like ages ago when he fought, right? He upset. I'm trying to think of who he upset in that last fight. That was on a PBC card. That was this year. 
So this dude, I mean, is he fighter of the year right now? I mean, obviously Tyson Fury is going to win fighter of the year. But outside of him, outside of him, and, and he should. I think Tyson Fury's win over Deontay Wilder trumps what Clay Collard's done, obviously. But outside of that, I think Clay Collard's the fighter of the year. Honestly, man. Uh, I, I mean, he's at least in a discussion, okay? Who, who else is in the discussion right now? Obviously, Tyson Fury's light years ahead, but Clay Collard's in the discussion. I just think um, awesome performance. And again, people bitching about matchmaking, but I, I saw some people bitching about this fight like, well, God damn it. You know, why'd they put him in so tough? Why'd they put Kaminsky in so tough against a, a guy like Collard? Well, what do you want? Which way do you want it, people? You bitch when it's not a tough matchup and it's a showcase, and then you bitch when uh, Kaminsky's match tough. Obviously, I think Bob Arum and Top Rank messed this one up. They overrated Kaminsky. I, I wasn't that. I was impressed with Kaminsky's toughness. He was obviously in great shape. He was in outstanding shape. That dude has great stamina, but I just did not see the skill set there. And, to, yeah, to put him in against a guy like Collard shows that they thought highly of him. And it just, it's just not there. He moved in straight lines. He pulled straight back. He didn't use the, uh, the southpaw advantage. You know, the, the whole southpaw thing is an advantage if you know how to use angles. He didn't turn Collard. I mean, Collard doesn't do anything special. He does not do anything special. If you've got power and you know how to turn a guy – you could box circles around Collard with your eyes closed. It's not hard. But all fight, Kaminsky going straight forward, straight backward. It did everything the same speed. Would rush in with his head down and basically walk into punches and do the same combination at the same speed, the same velocity over and over. Even a guy like Collard could time him and do what he needed to do to win that fight. It should have been a unanimous decision win for him. So all respect due to Clay Collard. What a great performance. And for Kaminsky, I, I don't know if he's going to get better. I mean, I talked about uh, Josh Greer improving from the, his loss to Mike Plania. I think he will. I do think he will. He's not going to have the power to get it done at the very, very top level, though. He's not that level of fighter. But Kaminsky's a level below Joshua Greer, I think. I, I just didn't see anything there. I just didn't. Maybe I'm wrong, and I'll be proven wrong, but I just didn't see it there. Now, let's see here. Gail Falkenthal in the chat says, Collard is willing to use his weight and get rough. That's his MMA DNA. Yeah, that's that wrestling DNA, and he knows how to smother a guy. That's all he kept doing to Kaminsky. It's not like he was slipping the punches. He was smothering them, catching them with his gloves, and just letting the guy basically wear himself down and then touching him, just touching him. And a lot of times, Kaminsky just walked into the punches. So, yeah, okay. Also, uh, Emmanuel Navarrete. Uh, let's see. One of you guys was asking in the chat. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Trent uh, in the chat says, Navarrete fights a guy who's 13 and 13. Anyone. That was over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you want to say? I I like that Navarrete stays busy. I think that's like his fifth fight, sixth fight in 18 months or something. That's awesome. But he his opposition is terrible. People bash like Terrence Crawford's opposition and even like someone like Deontay Wilder, his opposition before the last couple of years. Both of those guys, especially in the case of Crawford, much, much better than Navarrete. So his his opposition is shit. This was what it was. Again, he stayed busy. He got in the ring and fought. Got some rust off. Cool. Let's see this guy in a meaningful matchup. Please, by the end of the year, let's see him in a meaningful matchup. Can we can we unify titles at 22? <clears throat> He's going to be at 26 very, very soon. Before he moves up, can we go for a title unification? Please. If he moves up to 26, let's see him and Shakur Stevenson fight. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Would top rank do that? Would they pull the trigger on that one? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Gail says, Navarrete is likely to get Jesse Maldonado next. That was already in the works before the pandemic. I like that matchup. I like it. I do. Uh, Hamed asked, Mike, thoughts on Wilder twerking? I, if you guys, I don't know if you've seen the video of Deontay Wilder twerking. He was sweating. It, it, it's definitely hot. I think, I mean, he lives in Alabama. It, it's hot in the South right now. It's humid. Uh, I, I have no thoughts, man. I mean, what, you know, dude was having fun. Good for him. Good for him. 
I don't know what the hell he was doing. He had to be drunk. But uh, anyway, okay. Let's preview what's coming up this week. Tuesday, June 23rd, as I drink some water. I have to stay hydrated, guys. Uh, Andrew Maloney, 21-0, the Aussie, Australia. Going up against Joshua Franco, defending his WBA super flyweight title, or 115, whatever you want to call it. Super flyweight, junior bantamweight, I don't give a damn. 115 pounds, little guys. Maloney won the interim title last November in Melbourne against the journeyman. And suddenly the WBA makes him full champion. Go figure, WBA. We be awesome. That's the WBA. Uh, Franco is from San Antonio. Three close fights with Oscar Negrete at 118. Remember those? I think he won one of those, and the other two were draws. All of them were split on the cards, all three of them. And he has since moved back down to 115, where he will be better. So I like this matchup a lot. And don't count Franco out in that. There could be an upset special, ladies and gentlemen. He could win a title. I'm telling you right now. Thursday, June 25, Jason Maloney, the other Maloney brother, who only has one loss, lost during the World Boxing Super Series uh, last year, 2018, I think. Uh, He's going up against Mexican Leonardo Baez at 118 pounds. American heavyweight prospect out of Philly, Sonny Conto, is also on that card. And then Saturday, June 27th from Mexico City, Miguel Burchelt, 37-1, going up against Aliazar Valenzuela, a journeyman. He will win that fight. It is a not, I think it's a non-title fight. I don't think it's going to be at 130 pounds. Those dudes are probably weigh 160 when they get in the ring. It's in Mexico. So uh, anything goes down there. Anything goes. So that'll probably be a non-title fight, and Burchelt will win. And look, it's going to look like the Navarrete fight. I guess uh, a lot of people don't like it. I get it. But again, let these guys get busy. Let, let them be busy and fight. Let them get in the ring and knock some rust off and fight. It's not like they're making. This is what drives me nuts about some boxing fans. You bitch about fighters not getting paid, right? But then if a fighter's sitting on their ass, they can't get paid. Then you bitch about fighters making too much money and everything has to go to pay-per-view because these guys want too much money. And then here you have guys fighting, staying busy. They're not getting paid. A lot, but they're fighting these stay busy matchup kind of fights. And some of you are saying, oh, these guys ain't getting paid enough. You bitch about matchups being too one-sided. Then you bitch when a matchup is too evenly, like a, a tough matchup where a prospect takes a tough L. Guys, what the hell do you want? I, I think that um, the one thing I'll say about the top rank shows, let's talk about Mark Krieger real quick. Uh, how many asked no calls today? Yeah, we're taking calls, man. Uh, I haven't seen any calls. So uh, maybe just nobody wants to talk about any of this stuff. I mean, it's not like any of this stuff is, you know, crazy, crazy, breaking, breaking news. But, um, yeah, if you want to call in, how many get on the, get on the phone, man? Um, Mark Kriegel, Kriegel's people. I have nothing against Mark Kriegel. He seems to be a nice guy. I don't know what his background is. Maybe you guys can educate me. I'm wondering, you know what, what if, what if I Google him? Like, does he have, like, a, a wiki page? Let's see. Mark Kriegel. I totally did not spell that right. Okay, Mark. Oh, you know what? He does have a wiki page. Okay. So he is an American author, journalist, and television commentator. And his uh, his thumbnail here is a little, this is definitely like an actor's headshot he took here. He's got that same, like, I'm a tough guy. Look at his uh, headshot. It's hilarious. So he is the son of an author, Leonard Kriegel. I don't know who that is. Uh, grew up in New York, blah, 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 blah. He's an author of a New York Times bestseller, Namath, an autobiography of Joe Namath, Pistol, The Life of Pete Maravich. That's cool. 2012 book, The Good Son, The Life of Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Uh, so that's cool. So the guy is a definitely an accomplished author, but, you know, writes good books. Uh, let's see. He's worked uh, as a reporter with the Miami Herald, the New York Daily News. He was a sports column, columnist at the New York Post. So the guy definitely has experience mostly he started though off camera as a writer right 2011 2012 he got back on uh he got on tv on a sports themed interview show called barfly on fox sports net 2012 he joined nfl network then he went to am talk radio so he's started getting the tv in the last decade okay 
and I guess he's won some Emmy Awards, whatever, this, that, the other. I think this guy probably has very good connections to his family and friends, and he has worked his way up. I give him respect, but I don't, I don't love his segments. I just don't love his segments. He, I've talked about this before. There are different segments of the media, right? And it used to be that writers just stayed writers. Commentators stayed commentators. And like all the different segments of media. It's like with actors. TV actors stayed on TV. Movie actors stayed in movies. Theater actors stayed on theater. And now it's all just combined. And everyone's doing um, a little bit of everything. Which is cool. But some people are just better off camera. Some people are better as writers and just do not have the type of personality, the type of camera presence, stage presence that is required to be entertaining on television, on camera. It's, it's a much different skill. But some of these guys have good connections through their family or whatever it is. It seems like Kriegel grew up uh, you know, with, with some sort of privilege and his father was in the industry. And that helped him out, maybe. And um, I think that he probably has uh, the same agent that a lot of the other ESPN people have. I think it's CAA. And so that is what it is, you know. Um, but I just don't love the guy's segments. I got nothing against him as a human being. But when his vignettes come on and he starts talking about, you know, the dramatic, it's the same setup every time. The dramatic music, this, that, the other. I tend to just tune out. You know what I'm saying? I tend to just tune out. It, it seems like most of you guys agree. It seems like most of you guys agree. Uh, hashtag Joshua Wilder says, good writer, bad commentator, talks too slow. Right? Um, Gail Falkenthal says, right on, Michael. You beat me to it. Reporters now have to appear on camera. If they can't, um, Dan Raphael, they get replaced. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great comment, Gail. I'm just going to leave that one alone. I could say more about Dan Raphael being on camera and some people not wanting him to be on camera. You guys can do your own math there. <clears throat> but um, Gail also says, in Kriegel's defense, he's probably working with an ESPN network producer who imposes all the production of music. I agree, Gail. I agree. I mean, it's not all him. I understand. But his style and the way it all comes off, it's like, dude – we're, we're doing like these showcase fights, this top rank, stay busy fights. Most of these are one-sided matchups and you're doing this dramatic drawn out Kriegel's people segment on somebody for a fight. That's going to be a hundred to 90 on the scorecards. You know what I'm saying? I just don't know if it, 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 you don't need it with every broadcast. I think a lot of these top rank shows just get right to the steak and potatoes, right? With this top rank show, that I talked about with Michael Dutch over. They're getting right to it. It's a pay-per-view on Sunday. It's six bucks. If you got six bucks and want to see this fight, boom. Pay the six bucks. You see this shit live. You can stream it on your phone, your, your computer, or whatever. You can blast it on your TV. And they're going to get right to it. There's not going to be all these vignettes and Kriegel's people and all this. I just, you know, I like what Top Rank's doing right now. They are servicing. I talk about this a lot. This is another thing with fight fans. We always talk about, like, The Zone, for example, not taking care of the diehard fight fan. Everyone always talks about, oh, we need to get the casual fan in. We need to build boxing back up. Newsflash, boxing's never going to be a mainstream sport again, particularly in America. It won't. Ain't going to happen. Okay? This will remain a niche sport in America going forward. It's, a, it's underground famous, right? And it's going to stay that way. So take care of the diehard fan. Build more diehard fans. And these shows with top rank, they are on, 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 on the surface taking care of the diehard fans. That's who's watching. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, if you look at the 400,000 or so that tune in with each fight, that's who's watching. So I think that's a good thing. And I think it's – I respect what top rank's doing. However, we don't need the Kriegel's People segments – and all that, you could get rid of that because that is aimed at the casual fan. And if you just look at the ratings, casual fans ain't watching. Man, what do you guys, some of you guys in the chat here, what is this? I have no idea what this uh, thing is. 
I might have to block some of these fools. Anyway, guys, I, I think that's it for the show anyway, man. Um, I'm just looking at everything here over my notes. I think I covered everything. I basically ranted for an hour. I hope you guys appreciated it. And uh, no calls this week. If, if we did have calls and I missed you, I apologize. But I, uh, you know, I'm not surprised. There's just not a whole lot going on right now, man. But we are getting some boxing, guys. And we do have some fights coming up on the schedule in the coming weeks and months that are going to be good. Uh, it's going to get better, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to get better. So um, I'll see you next week. Enjoy the shows. We'll talk about it next Monday. All right? Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you at the fights.